It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Football Social Daily. This is the award-winning Premier League show, Football Social Daily. All of the latest top flight news and opinion on this podcast. So hitting subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform is the best way to stay right on the pulse of English football's top table. But will Everton still be a part of the top division at all if a reported 12-point deduction happens? The Toffees allegedly in trouble with the authorities over the management of their finances. More on that to come. Plus, we look back at Newcastle's night in the Champions League as they were defeated by Dortmund in the group of death. And we take a look at some of your questions too about goalkeepers, managers and Mo Salah. This is FSD. My name's Niall and alongside me in the studio today, Joel Tudor. Interestingly enough, though, there's an empty seat because Marley's decided not to turn up for the podcast today. The morning after Newcastle lost in the Champions League. Isn't that ironic? How convenient is that? After all that talk he was giving on yesterday's podcast about how Newcastle are this and that, and how his key up, Nick Pope's, you know, the greatest keeper alive, and then suddenly he's not even in the seat. I've just got an empty chair next to me. Don't know where he is. Do you know where he is? He's having a haircut, mate. He's skived the podcast to have a haircut. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know he'll be listening to this as well, so you can just say whatever you want, really. Marley, Vic, um, Andre Onana, greatest keeper in the Premier League. <laughs> you can't say anything, can you? Because you're in your barber's seat. He'll <laughs> uh, be fuming. He'll have a big bald patch in the side of his head where he's shaking from rage. Just, yeah, just take it all <laughs> the off. The barber's just like, chill out, chill out. <laughs> <laughs> Joking aside, uh, no Marley today, just me and Joel with you. But you can join us 
every time we do release a new podcast by hitting subscribe, as I say. And you can also join the debate and discussion beyond the confines of the show by joining our Telegram group, which you can find the link to in the description of this show. All of our social media pages are linked in the description as well. And that's the best place to send us some questions, which some of you have done, and we will read them out today and answer some of those questions, me and Joel, the best we can. Before we start on today's show, though, I wanted to play the final game of Sportal this week. Now, we've been playing this through the week on the podcast. It's kind of like Wordle, but it's a football club version. Sportsindustry.biz forward slash Sportal is where you can find this game. And the first time we played it, it took Joel and Marley three guesses. Yesterday, it took them two guesses. Can Joel get it in one guess? He's on his own. He's flying solo today. I don't know the answer to today's uh, so we can quiz work together either. Now. So we can actually work together now. This is how it works. If you haven't tuned into any of the pods this week, you get given five clues. You have to guess the name of this football club based on the five clues you were given. If you can guess it after one clue, obviously brilliant stuff, but you get up to five guesses to make sure you get it right. So the first one is always stadium capacity. This football club's stadium has a capacity of 30,210. Derby County? That's not a bad right. guess. Right, they've got know. a pretty sizable ground. Do you know what? Let's go for it. Derby County. But it's a one of the around one of those types, like you know, stadium light type, derby type. Yeah, thirty thousand means that they're not a small club, but also like they're Coventry. not a, they're not a true giant. Yeah, it's um, going to be one of those types. The second clue is always the team nickname. I'm stumped. The team nickname is the Company's Eleven. Red Bull, Red Bull Leipzig, but Leipzig aren't a very the old. Company's Eleven. That sounds like a Dutch team to me. But like, I just think my, my guess would be Leipzig because I think it fits 30,000 seats. They're not a very Surely old club. Surely theirs is bigger. Surely. I, I think Leipzig, but you feel free to throw some names into the ring as well. I feel someone like PSV, the company's 11. It, means, it might mean like a, like a green, like the comp, we are the company, like, kind of, like company. a firm type. Yeah. All right, so do you want to go for PSV then? Yeah, what, what did you say? I said RB Leipzig. I think we're both wrong, but let's see. Let's try PSV. The team kit is black with a massive red cross in the middle of it. Oh, dearie me. I have never seen a kit dearie like that me. before. Is that like a, it could be like a Swedish one. By a Leverkusen or someone like that. They play in black and red. Oh, that's actually a great shout. I actually, yeah, go for Leverkusen, I'm pretty sure. Let's try by a Leverkusen, shall we? By the way, we've already done worse than yesterday because we're on the third <laughs> This is clue. tough one, though. Bayer Leverkusen. The it, kit gave it away. Bayer Leverkusen, the kit finally did it. That was difficult. The company's 11. So the, the German name is Die Werkself, which is the company's 11. I'm guessing it is from Bayer. Yeah, Bayer, the pharmaceutical company. Do you know what? I never knew that. I've never known that for all of the years. And I've actually watched Bayer Leverkusen play football and the Bayer Leverkusen badge is the same logo as the Bayer Pharmaceuticals crest, which I've never put two and two together. So Bayer own Leverkusen? Bayer, uh, a big employer in the town of Leverkusen. That kind of went under the record, didn't it? Considering how much attention, for example, Red Bull Leipzig get. Yeah, I know, but Bayer Leverkusen was founded in 1904. Yeah, RB Leipzig was founded. But I was on the right lines thinking about that. And I think you were probably on the right lines with PSV as well. Because I think PSV Eindhoven, you know, the electronics company Philips. Philips. The P in PSV stands for Philips. The logic, there's logic in our madness. Yeah. I'll put that out there. I feel like we work together better than you and Marley work together. <laughs> Absolute stabs. We would have still dark. been here trying to guess till the cows come home. You can have a go at Sportal whenever you want. There's a new clue every day by visiting the sport industry website. So it's sportindustry.biz. 
And in big orange letters at the top of the web page is a link to sport or give it a click. And why not give it a go every single day? See if you can do better than me and Joel just did. Right, let's get into the proper stuff on Football Social Daily now, though, and talk about this potential 12-point deduction, which is looming over Everton Football Club. It's been a really turbulent week at Goodison Park. Of course, the Toffees lost their longtime chairman, Bill Kenwright, at the age of 78, sadly, a couple of days ago. And today, reports are swirling that the Premier League has reportedly recommended a deduction of up to 12 points due to alleged breaches of financial rules. Now, we know that the Premier League have been investigating Everton since March, and this is to do with their accounts, basically, and overspending. And we've seen a lot of this. Manchester City, of course, are still caught up in a case with the Premier League. This is bad news. This is bad news for Everton Football Club if they were stable already in their new stadium and in the top four, let alone when you're at the bottom end of the Premier League table and currently uncertain about who owns the club and halfway through building a new stadium. Yeah, I mean, if this was to actually come to light, they would be on minus five points on their current standings at the moment. I mean, how long would it take for them to get back to their current standing? 12 points might take them a good 10 games just to get those points back. But judging from what the reports are at the moment, they currently don't know the exact specific charge, but there's speculation that it is around a tax matter to do with the loans that they've actually accumulated from the Bramley Moor Dock Stadium. And if anyone doesn't know, when it comes to the FFP, they've reported losses of over £371 over the last three years, which is very, very on the threshold of what's actually allowed to occur in terms of losses, which is deemed by FIFA. So... It seems like there's some kind of issue going along with the stadium and how they've actually managed to take the actual loans for it. I'm wondering if the ownership situation with the 777 partners is potentially being delayed because they knew that this was actually going to come to light. I don't know, do you reckon it might actually change what could happen in terms of the ownership? Because for me, if I was a new owner coming into a club, suddenly the valuation seems a little bit different when you're coming into a totally different situation like that. I do know what you're saying because I thought it was a bit strange that Farhad Mashiri went from I'm staying at Everton, I'm here for the long term, I want to make this club a success to within a matter of weeks even, the club's up for sale, I've found a buyer and the takeover's happening. I just wonder whether Mashiri knew something like this would happen and maybe that's why he was more keen to not offload the club, that's probably the wrong term, but he was more open to investment and having the club taken off of his hands Maybe this was part of the reason for that. And I think actually you mentioned the finances side of it. I think that it's to do, isn't it, with the new stadium and the building Mm. of the new stadium, which obviously has cost a lot of money. I think it was a half a million pound, sorry, half a billion pound build. Would have been a bargain if it was that much. can you imagine? (laughs) So there are issues here that Everton obviously have known about for a while. It's just disappointing from the Premier League's perspective that this has come to light in a week in which Everton are mourning for the loss of their chairman, which is really poor, I think, on the Premier League's behalf. But it's up to 12 points. That's what the deduction says, up to 12 points, if these reports are to be believed. What do you think would be a fair points deduction? Should it be 12? It's hard to gauge, isn't it? Because it's always a case-by-case thing. I know you mentioned Manchester City and their 115 charges, which are still somewhere bobbing in the ocean waiting to actually be caught and dealt with. But it says that the commission are basing their punishment of potentially a fine, a transfer embargo or 12 points deducted. I think 12 points is the upper range in terms of punishment. Transfer embargo would be kind of mid-range. A fine would be the lower range. 
I think Everton fans would want a fine. I think 12 points could literally spell the end of Everton as we actually know it because judging from how they currently are as a club at the moment and even if the ownership situation actually comes to light, if they get a 12-point deduction, I really don't see the ownership situation coming around because they're going to want to retain Premier League mm. status because that's where the money is. But I don't think that would put 777 partners off if Everton think- got deducted points and relegated because Everton is such a huge football club. Someone will step in to save them. Someone will. It's an all right way to get the fans on board. When you're in that much adversity, I know Everton fans are just waiting for a change regardless. Yeah. But to see an ownership come in and say, regardless of if we get a fine embargo, points deduction, we're coming in and trying to steady this ship a little bit. I think they just want to see change. Well, if it's getting to the point where Everton are worried about whether they're going to stay solvent or not, I don't think it's quite that serious at this point. But certainly there's a lot of money that has been spent that shouldn't have been spent. For example, according to the Premier League's profitability and sustainability rules, clubs are allowed losses of up to £105 million in a three-year period. Everton have submitted losses of £371 million in the last three years. That is over three times the Premier League rules. Three times the rules the Premier League have set. So clearly, they knew what they were doing. They must have known that. This is not like Mashiri or Kenwright or whoever it was spending money not knowing that they were breaking the rules. Someone at Everton will have known we are spending way more money than we should here. But of course, the caveat to this is if they're found guilty. They aren't found guilty yet. These are just charges that have been brought to light. We don't even know what the charges are actually for. We're literally just speculating at the moment. Mm. But I mean, to be 250 million above what the guideline is, that just screams mismanagement. We look at Barcelona's situation where they're having to literally sell off parts of their club just to meet La Liga's financial regulations in terms of the actual revenues that they're making and the wage budgets. That shouldn't be happening. They're both massive clubs. Obviously, one's much bigger than the other. But I mean, Everton are a huge club in their own right. Why are they being such misguided? I mean, when you go back to Marcel Branson, look how much he spent Mm. of Mashiri's money on the likes of Gilvy Sigurdsson, 50 million. I don't even know where he is now, in Iceland somewhere. And all these big transfers, it will be 30 million. It's just a lot of cash that if they had the right football people dealing with that kind of cash, like what's happening at Brighton, like what's happening when, for example, Pochettino is at Southampton, just having the right types of people managing money goes so far. It's probably worth its weight in gold as much as the money itself. So mm. they're just it's just self-inflicted. And we saw lots of you know banners with Everton fans saying sack the board and that kind of thing. They know what the problem is. They don't blame the players and I totally respect them for yeah. that. They know exactly they need to go for the root cause, which is change of ownership and therefore change of board. I was at Goodison Park a few times last season. I think before the Spurs game, there was a march outside the ground and I remember distinctly Everton fans holding banners and then they walked past a photo of Bill Kemright above one of the turnstiles and they were chanting, get it down, get it down. The photo had been removed initially, but then replaced again. And I think that it's small things like that, which the Evertonians felt like maybe they weren't being listened to because there have been protests outside Goodison Park about the ownership situation at the club. But there's also been displays of support from Everton fans in terms of trying to convey the message to the players that they have to stay in the Premier League. And I think financially, it would be a huge blow to Everton if they were to drop out of the Premier League. Well, just to put this into perspective, when you look at Everton's last two finishes in the Premier League individually, 
Last year, they finished on 36 points, which was two above the drop zone. Yeah. The season before that, 39 points, which was three points above the yeah. drop zone. And they're so, going to get given more than a three-point deduction, oh, aren't they? Even if it's six points, guilty. this could literally mark relegation straight away. Well, you know me. I don't need to be asked twice to talk about my own club on this podcast, seeing as we used to be a Premier <laughs> really? League team, and now we don't really have much of a, a standing in the top division anymore. There are people that won't remember Pompey in the top flight 15, 16 or not even quite that long ago 12 years ago 13 years ago was when we were last there in 2010 we were the first and to this date the only football club to enter administration whilst the Premier League side we still feel let down by the Premier League we felt betrayed as football fans by the Premier League and the FA because of the way that they weren't doing their due diligence on the owners of our club and as fans we're the ones that suffer Owners come and go, but the fans will always be there. And I think that that is a cliche, but it's so obvious in football that you need to make sure that the fans are heard. Pompey went into administration, so it's a different thing to what Everton are facing. But the fact that Everton could be deducted points, a Premier League side could be deducted points of financial mismanagement. It kind of drags me back to 12 years ago when I was waking up every morning not knowing if I was going to have a football club to support the next day. I was going into school talking to my mates who were all laughing at me, you know, pay up Pompey and all this. And it's honestly, it's horrible. And I'm not saying this would happen to Everton, but people are kind of brushing it off because we've seen Manchester City banned from the Champions League, then unbanned from the Champions League after they took their case to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. In the Football League, Reading have been deducted points this season. We've seen so many football clubs hamstrung by the financial rules and of course hamstrung by overspending but it comes from within like as a Portsmouth fan I can be angry at the fact that the owners overspend or plunge the club into administration Evertonians can be annoyed at their hierarchy for spending willy-nilly knowing that they were breaking the rules yeah exactly it's exactly that and it goes it just resonates so much with the Barcelona situation of spending more than their means they knew that they didn't have the cash and they knew they weren't meeting the regulations and the guidelines and this is what ends up coming to light. But I do have to stress as well that 12 points is the maximum, yes, the absolute yes, maximum. Yes. They may end up with a fine. They may not even be charged at all, by the way. Or they could get a transfer embargo. There's a number but of different Do you not think scenarios. it's crazy? So we got given a nine-point deduction, I'm pretty sure, in 2010 when we went into administration in the Premier League. The club was in administration. The club could go out of business. It was bottom of the Premier League. We didn't have enough money to pay mm. players. And then they still took points off us. They were desperate to see us out of that league. We were a stain on the Premier League and we've never been seen since. But we will never forget as a fan base how the Premier League treated us, especially when it comes to the way that owners and directors are vetted. It is quite a crazy scenario when you think about that, how clubs, the fans are punished yeah. based on tyrannical owners. We you were going down anyway that yeah. season. We didn't it's almost like 10. you're on the edge minus of a cliff nine. like Simba and Scar and he's just going to kick you off the cliff because you've already you're down hanging and on out by anyway. your fingers yeah, yeah. and it's Literally. like someone stamping on your fingers. It's Again, the ins and outs we'll never know in terms of the Premier League. It goes back to a time during 2005 to 2008 where, for example, the Glazers did do a leverage takeover which would never be allowed now. Hopefully, and obviously we see things are improving, but I mean, for Everton to get to this stage... Again, they're not going to be charged yet as of now. They've been obviously alleged to have breached it. But it's going to be an interesting scenario if they do get points deductions because how has a club like Everton reached this point is incredible. How do you think Evertonians feel about this in terms of justice? And when I say justice, what I mean is obviously we don't know the details of Manchester City's 115 breaches. For some of them, I think 
they're as minor as not cutting the grass or having the grass too long at Etihad Stadium. We don't know exactly what all 115 breaches are, and that is a case that is still ongoing, so we can't comment on it with any authority. Also, six of the biggest Premier League clubs, including Manchester City, but along with Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Manchester United, Liverpool, tried to break away and create the European Super League. They weren't punished at all. There was no punishment there. It was just a don't do it again. There is a massive power dynamic, isn't there? I think when you look at FIFA and the Premier League and how they treat the bigger clubs compared to quote-unquote the smaller clubs or the ones that don't add as much value as those guys. I mean, after the Super League, let's say the Super League was Everton, Napoli, Marseille, Nice and these types of clubs, Sevilla. Let's say they all got together and created a Super League or wanted to create some kind of Super League which then challenged the hierarchy of football, i.e. Bayern, Manchester United, Real Madrid, etc., I can guarantee that FIFA would have banged a gavel on those guys so hard in terms of financial punishment, embargoes, maybe even points deductions, bans from Europe, whatever it is, they would have gone down so hard on them. It was the fact that as a collective, all the big clubs joined together and they cannot punish the big clubs because the big clubs bring the revenue to the actual competition. So it's almost like FIFA are not in control. The big clubs control football. It's a fact. Yeah, you cannot control these guys. It's like almost like the supermarkets. They're the ones who set the prices. Yeah. We can't do anything about it because mm. they are the big guys. They literally control the whole ecosystem. People want to watch Liverpool and Manchester yeah. City. Yeah, if, they, Manchester if United, they left Europe, they? there is no Champions League and there's no European, European football. They are the ones who are the breadwinners for, for FIFA mm. and for UEFA. But also ring-fencing the revenue for themselves to leave clubs like Everton, who aren't as big or as successful, to feed off the scraps <clears> is hugely disrespectful and hugely self-centred and egotistical for those clubs to go, well, we're the big names. You guys can fend for yourselves and we'll just keep all the cash in-house. It is, and that's why Champions League and UEFA have literally made their very own Super League, which is going to start next season, which is literally a league. A league format where and people can teams. qualify. Yeah. yeah, They they knew that they had to adapt or that the, yeah. the clubs were going to make their own. They were scared stiff after that. Yeah. It's not a shock why there will be a fifth place in the Champions League for English teams, either at the end of this money, season honestly, or yeah. at the start of next season, where you know the top five will qualify for the Champions League rather than the top four. Which I think is bad, madness anyway, when you think about it in terms of what it's called the Champions League. It should be the champions of all the leagues competing against each other. There wouldn't be many teams then. There wouldn't there? be many teams, <laughs> no. And I think Manchester City would just win it every season anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's all for the Everton chat for now. I think this is one to watch with intent because we don't know the situation entirely. These are just reports at the moment. Nothing confirmed. There's been no official communication from the Premier League. But we will wait and see exactly what happens with that. Next up, though, we're going to talk about some of the on-field action, as I know some of you want us to talk a little bit more about the actual football rather than the -the off-the-field stuff. But there's a lot happening behind the scenes at clubs in the Premier League at the moment, in all fairness to us. So we're going to discuss Newcastle's defeat in the Champions League yesterday. They were beaten by Borussia Dortmund in the group of death. It puts them third in the standings. Work to do for Eddie Howe's side. We'll talk about it next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. I'm Niall. Joel's with me. And the Newcastle fan who usually features on this podcast is Marley Anderson. But he's not here today, funnily enough after his side were beaten 1-0 last night at St. James's Park. Unbelievable. But, to be fair, you said you thought Newcastle would get the job done last night. They didn't. They ended up losing the game. Unluckily, though, it wasn't as if they got walked over by Dortmund. I mean, if anyone saw the last five minutes of the game where Newcastle hit the bar twice, I mean, both keepers were mad of the matches for both of their respective sides. Nick Pope had an incredible game, uh, made some really good double saves uh, in the first half. And Dortmund's keeper, again, made some incredible saves as well in the final 20 minutes of the game. But it's going to be interesting to see how this group goes now because you've suddenly got all of the teams on a level playing field. And yet now, as I mentioned in yesterday's podcast, St. James's part was vital for them to get points. Yeah. Because now the prospect of having to go to the Parc de Prince to get three points is a difficult enough task in itself. Then to go to Signal Iduna in Dortmund, again, very fierce place to go. Suddenly the task has become 10 times bigger. Obviously they had the Milan game at, at home, but that's one of the last games that they actually play. So they're going to have to get the job done away from St. James's, which is going to be so difficult. And that's why I always mentioned in the Champions League, you have to have good home form if you want to go through your group because it is that competitive. But I'm just wondering, how do you think they'll fare... Now, because I've just looked at their fixtures and before each game, so I'll take you through the fixtures that they've got coming up. So before their game against Dortmund away in yeah. a couple of weeks' time, they have Arsenal just before at home. Before the PSG game away, they have Chelsea at home. Then bef- And then after that, they have Manchester United at St. James's Park. And then before Milan, they have Tottenham away. So literally, before every single one of these vital Champions League games, they have a vital game in the Premier League, which is huge. Luckily, all at St. James's Park by the Tottenham game. So how do you think this is going to affect Eddie Howe's preparation going into these games? Because he's going to have to prioritise his squad a little bit for 
what is going to be huge games in both aspects of the competition. Yeah, especially if they're a midfielder light with Tonali being yeah. banned. That's what you want, though, as a football fan. That's what you want as a Newcastle fan. That is absolutely class. Trips to PSG, trips to Dortmund, games with Manchester United at St. James's Park, etc., etc. I know Newcastle have been a Premier League team for a long, long time. But now seeing those teams arrive at St. James's Park when it's much more of a contest than it was when Steve Bruce or Rafa Benitez was the manager and there's much mm. more of an atmosphere. That is what you want. The only difference for Eddie Howe is that he has to prepare for more games. You know, at the start of the season where we said, how are Newcastle going to manage playing in Europe midweek and then on a Sunday in the Premier League? Well, I think playing in Europe midweek and then playing on a Sunday in the Premier League against Sheffield United is fine. I think when you're playing PSG away on a I Tuesday remember, yeah, yeah. and then Manchester United at home on a Saturday 12.30 or top of the league Spurs after you've gone to Dortmund, that is where the true test is. Different prospect that, isn't it? I think we all mentioned it at the start when Marley was getting all giddy like a little kid under his I'm tree at Christmas. So, though. Oh, yeah, no, so. don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking away his excitement because, because like you've just mentioned, this is Newcastle's first Champions League campaign in, what, 20 years? I wouldn't care what this the scenario is because you've got all these big European games. I think the main issue is that they're going to be a massive man light in Tonali. Yeah. He was brought in to be one of their talisman in midfield. Yeah, he was so brought in because they needed numbers for the Champions League. Yeah, he has Champions League pedigree. I mean, he reached the semi-finals last year. He was a pivotal part of that Milan squad. But like you've said, the fixtures have just not stacked up for them nicely because Eddie Howe, inevitably, will have a little bit of adversity during this next five weeks, whether it's injuries to a defender. We know Sven Botman's been in and out of the team. Yeah. Whether a midfielder gets injured. I mean... They might have to bring in an emergency loan or something. It feels like that's been our buzzword in recent weeks, adversity. But I think this is the first true patch of adversity Newcastle have had to face since the Saudi takeover. Is it adversity though? Well, it will be with the Tonali situation. Whether that affects the players and the performances on the pitch, I don't know. You could argue last night, probably not, because they hit the bar a couple of times and only lost 1-0 at home against the European side who should have won the Bundesliga last season, by the way. Bottles it on the final day. The Tonali thing for me is definitely the biggest just challenge, the one yeah. challenge they've had because if they were if we were to ask Marley at the start, if you were to play PSG at home, Dortmund at home, and Milan away and have four points, that's a great return. Yeah. The only issue I have now is that to go to PSG is so difficult. Their stadium is absolutely unbelievable on a Champions mm. League night. I've never seen ultras like it in my life yeah. when I went to see it in February. And obviously they're the all Dortmund difficult. stadium. They're all difficult. All right. San Siro is difficult. I mean, and they did well there. This is what I mean. But again, that's why I said the St. James's Park results have got to be impeccable to get out of a group like this because Paris Saint-Germain, they just won emphatically last night against Milan with ease 3-0. So they need to really ch- take their chances. And that Milan game at home at St. James's Park at the end at the end of December, that's that might be the game that actually does yeah. it for them. And that's, the only, that's only the fifth time that Newcastle have lost at home in the last 40 games. And it was a bit of a freak one. I mean, to hit the bar twice and have all these chances. Callum Wilson was one-on-one. Joe Linton had a great chance. On another day, it might have been a very, very different result. That's why I say I don't think they've hit adversity yet, but I think in the next five weeks, there is huge potential if we then see the absence of Sandro Tonali to then see how do they react to that because those Champions League games are going to come thick and fast. Yeah, they certainly will. Also, European action tonight for Liverpool and Brighton but we're going to leave those clubs to one side for now because next we're going to answer some of your questions that you've sent in to us here on Football Social Daily see you after this
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Final part of today's show. This is Football Social Daily. Don't forget you can join the chat in the Telegram group by clicking the link in the description. All of our social media pages are linked there as well. And that's the best place to send us any topics or questions you want us to discuss on this show. We're going to try and get through as many of them as we can through the next few weeks. This first one comes from Marcus Eagle in Norway. Thanks for your question, Marcus. And he says, I want you guys to give an honest rating of goalkeepers in the Premier League. Would a goalkeeper like Peter Schmeichel, for example, be rated as the best in today's Premier League, even if he wasn't as good as his feet as someone like Edison or even Onana? <laughs> I could hear the ghost of not Jacob Marley, but Marley Anderson saying, Onana. <laughs> Just hear him, he would love to be in this well, spot We're not right quite now. in the festive period yet. We'll have to save that joke. We'll save that back. one for the next one. Yeah, yeah. We are in the Halloween season though and... Onana has spooked a few people with the way that he's played with the ball at his feet. But that's a good question. Let's tackle the Peter Schmeichel one first. Would Peter Schmeichel be rated as the best in today's Premier League, even if he wasn't as good with his feet? I must be honest, I was very young when Peter Schmeichel was playing in the Premier League, so I can't profess to have watched him week in, week out, but I know he was a very good goalkeeper. I just wonder whether he would be rated as one of the best or whether he would even have a place at a club like Manchester United now because of the way the styles of play have changed? It's something we discussed earlier this week. Obviously, when you're comparing different eras, it's very difficult to say, would he be better than, uh, would Maradona be better than Messi? It's very difficult because it's very different playing styles, of course. But I think as a goalkeeper, if you're one of the best in your position, I think inevitably you're going to be one of the best in any era. When it comes to pure goalkeeping, when I say 
Peter Schmeichel, yeah. one of the best ever. But goalkeeping has changed in the last few years. It has, it has. But I mean, Schmeichel was no slouch when it came to the ball at his feet. But again, it's very difficult to answer that question because the game wasn't played. There wasn't much emphasis on that in the game. But so. you know what I think the clearest example is? And it comes from Manchester United from not two months ago. And that is David De Gea. One of the best we've had. One of the best that the Premier League has ever mm. seen. But he was, for want of a better term, in place of Onana because Eric Ten Hag wanted someone who could play with his feet. Peter Schmeichel, I have no idea whether he could or couldn't play with his feet. I guess he could a little bit. I mean, you could look at Edwin van der Sar, for example. He was very good with the ball at his feet, very comfortable. I mean, he was in that great Ajax side yeah. that won the Champions League. I mean, if you're playing for a Vanguard side, you have to be yeah. great with the ball at your feet. I think he would have been one of the best. Mm. Petr Cech in his 2004 era still would have been one of the best because inevitably, bottom line, these guys were absolutely impeccable when it came to their form. Mm. I mean, Van der Sar kept Czech's 11 consistency. He very rarely, if ever, made a mistake. And that's the difference. I yeah. think with De Gea, he made quite a few mistakes. I don't know about Schmeichel in terms of mistake-making. Schmeichel about, was good for the odd goal as well, which is just crazy. Yeah, he's got. I'm sure he's got about 10. So what do you think then? Do you think Schmeichel would still be rated as one of the best? Because De Gea... Arguably, if we're talking pure goalkeeping and not this playing out from the back, using your feet, distribution sort of thing, De Gea is one of the best at that in the Premier League's history, mm. along with Petr Cech. But there's no place for him in the Manchester United team. And Manchester United aren't even one of the top sides in the league at the moment. They're just trying to play a certain way. So as far as Marcus's question goes, is there a place for Schmeichel? I think, of course, it has to be. If you're one of the best in your era, I think in any era, you will be one of the best. Maybe not the best. But I think if you're going to look at a keeper in terms of their presence, which Schmeichel was, in terms of actually controlling the defence from his position, of course he's going to be up there. Whether he can play out from the back in this era, I mean, find Marty McFly and give me a time machine, I'll tell you. <laughs> OK, well, let's <laughs> tackle the second part of Marcus's question, which is let's rank the Premier League goalkeepers. I'm not going to go from 1 to 20 because we've we'll been here five. forever. Obviously, top of the table right now are Tottenham Hotspur. Vicario is looking really good. Looks like he's been a Premier League player for ages already. He looks comfortable, knows how to play the way Ange Postacoglu wants to play. They've only conceded eight goals all season, which is the same as Arsenal and just one more than Manchester City. But then again, you can't look past the likes of Edison and Allison, who have been in the Premier League for a number of years and are consistent. I think there's a very easy answer to this question. I think Allison's far and wide the best. I think he's one of the best Premier League goalkeepers ever. Better than Edison, that's the huge question. I think so. No, I think Allison so. sits on the bench for Brazil. A lot of players sit on the bench for Brazil. <laughs> I mean, that's a very that's a very deep rabbit hole you want to go down. But Allison, for me, he's one the of last... the best at one on ones I've ever seen. I've never seen a goalkeeper as commanding in a one on one situation. When he... a player's running through, which isn't often, someone running mm. through Van Dijk or Canate or whoever, and they're one on one on goal. The amount of times over the years, I'm thinking goal, and Allison's come up with a. One-on-one save. He's one of the best at that I think I've ever seen. He's incredible. Even just his point-blank shot-stopping in terms of reactions is insane. And obviously he was an absolutely pivotal part of Liverpool's last seven years under Klopp. I think without him, Klopp wouldn't have been as successful, not nearly as successful. Um, But him and Edison, definitely they're the two absolute outstanding choices. I think it's more so up for debate as to who's the third best. I'd probably maybe give it to someone like... I mean, Vicario is a little bit reactionary because I know yeah, he's, he's only he's just He's been in too in. soon, but you've got Emmy Martinez at Aston Villa, a World Cup winner. You've got David Raya, Aaron Ramsdale situation <laughs> at Arsenal. Let's steer clear Ask of that Nick for Carter. now. <laughs> Nick Pope, Robert Sanchez, Onana, De Gea is obviously gone. 
But I do think, like well. someone said the other day, the standard of goalkeeping in the Premier League is as poor as it's ever been. And that's someone who I know who used to play for a Premier League team as a goalkeeper. Because outside of those two, Edison and Allison, you are hard-pressed to pick the next best. If you reverse the question and say, would these goalkeepers in a previous era gone by be as good, or if not better, in, let's say, the Schmeichel era, I would say yes. But they're just one piece of a puzzle, aren't they? So there's no point Jordan Pickford being able to play out from the back and being good with his feet if the defenders aren't showing for it. You know, That's what I mean, rather, in the 90s, they'd rather you just smash that. it long or whatever. In the 90s, I mean? though, you would eradicate that, though, wouldn't you, in terms of passing out from the back because like I mentioned in the last podcast I can't remember the last time a keeper kicked it out from his hands whereas you go to a 90s game 80s 70s that is the thing you have to do for us for us at Portsmouth it was David James's throw I've never seen a man throw the ball so far (laughs) he could throw the ball as far as I could kick the ball honestly his overarm throw was absolutely ridiculous right let's move on thanks for your question though Marcus and you know what off the back of Marcus's question it got me thinking about managers if there might not be a place for Peter Schmeichel and someone from his era in the Premier League now, despite his quality, is there a place for old school management? Someone like Neil Warnock, of course, has just retired, but he said that it was his last season 20 years ago. And yet here he is only just retiring after leaving Huddersfield a month or so back. So are the days of, I know they're getting on a bit in age, so probably yes, but generally as a point, are the days of Redknapp, Bruce, Pulis, Allardyce, your favourite pool jewel, are they done now are we going to see more 37 year old Anthony Iriola etc etc coming through the ranks rather than the older boys staying in the game well first of all I want to give a little bit of credit to some of these guys because I know for example Sam Allardyce he gets a lot of bad press however a lot of players I know we have Matt Jarvis on FSD Wes Brown Wes Brown as well and they both said that Allardyce was very very good tactically in terms of his attention attention to detail I feel like he just gets portrayed as this you know, typical British manager, four four two, big two centre backs, two big two strikers, and then just lump it long. However, in football, it's natural you see a progression and people get left behind. We've saw it with, for example, David De Gea. He's been left behind in terms of the football. We're even seeing it with Jose Mourinho, and I know it pains me so much to say that, but after the way in which almost player management has changed and the new generation have started to come through. I don't think his methods work as effectively as it did, say, in 2004, where it felt like different kinds of men, men who could actually take a lot of criticism, whether that's good or whether that's bad, I don't know. That's for everyone else to decide. But it just seems like his downward fall has been due to a generational change where he's not been able to get that extra 1%. I mean, we saw it with Deli Ali. I don't want to you know, put the finger on him, but... I don't think he would have ever had to have a conversation like that yeah. with anyone at Inter Milan or any of the Chelsea boys in 2005, do you know mm. what I mean? But I guess part of the argument would be Pep Guardiola is 52 and he's still learning the new tactics, the new styles, mm. trying to generate his team, develop his team, find something new, find that point of difference to help his side win matches. And yes, the younger lads are probably more used to that. When I say younger lads, I mean the managers that are in their mid-30s and just taking on their first coaching roles. You think there's quite a lot of young Premier League managers. I think Eddie Howe's, what, just 40 or something like that. So, you know, you think about those people and they're 12 years younger than Pep Guardiola. So Pep's in his 50s, which is the same sort of age that the likes of Kevin Keegan and Glenn Hoddle and these people were when they were managing in the 90s. And different generation, do you not think? Because even you look at, for example, Julian Nagelsmann, he's 36. Mm. You look at Graham Potter, who they're all having, I think, a little bit better education when it comes to football now in terms of the technical aspects. Obviously, Graham Potter, he was at Ostersund 
learning his trade there. And then you look to, for example, Glenn Hoddle, go straight into management. Not a problem with that at all, but their methods are very different. They've got the mentality of playing how they would play in the 90s, whether it's going in for strong tackles, whether it's the types of formations. Whereas I feel like now the younger managers, we saw it with Gary O'Neill on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I think because he's English, people almost automatically think wasn't a great play. He was all right. Yeah. And they probably don't think, oh, well, he's not going to be tactically astute then. However, when you looked at the way in which he looked at the game in so much depth in every area, I think we're realising now that they're actually getting such a great education. Managers are not as afraid to go abroad and learn their trade, or they're not as afraid to go and do a course at university to actually develop their ta- uh, the technical knowledge of the game. So I think that's why the premise of the question is, these older managers are going to get left behind because the younger ones have got more know-how about the game. I think it's harder to learn when you're older as well. And you, well, old dog can't or, learn no old, tricks. Old dog can't learn new <laughs> tricks. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Finally, then I wanted to ask about Mo Salah as well, which is another question that's been sent to us. Obviously, Liverpool have lost their formidable trio of Roberto Firmino, who left in the summer. Sadio Mane left the season before. And Liverpool haven't quite been as efficient in terms of goal scoring as they were when all three of those were in action regularly. Mo Salah is still there, but of course there were links to Saudi Arabia. There have been links to Real Madrid in the past. He's now over the age of 30. Still a very good player. Obviously scored two goals in the Merseyside derby at the weekend. He's one of the greatest ever Premier League players, if not the greatest ever African Premier League player. If Salah leaves, which could be as soon as January when the transfer window opens, who knows? Will Liverpool be able to replace him? The obvious answer is no, because of the impact he's had on the club over the years. But what I mean is, are Liverpool in a position where they can find someone to fill those shoes so it doesn't make too much of a dent on what they're trying to achieve? For example, they brought in Darwin Nunez when they knew that Sadio Mane was leaving, Luis Diaz, Diogo Jota. They're players that came in and hit the ground running. And so, as such, the impact of Mane and Firmino leaving hasn't been as severe as maybe it could have been. Do you think they need to do the same thing again with Salah? Do you think they're in a good position or a well enough position to be able to deal with it the time that he does eventually leave Anfield? I think we can use Tottenham as a perfect example of this, where there is life always after your talisman. We looked at when Kane left and we were thinking, how on earth are they going to replace 30 goals a season? They're going to fall to 15th. However, you forget that the players who are good around him fill in his role. When you look at Son... Ball striking ability is probably as good as Kane, you'd arguably say. He's suddenly filled in that void. I think with Liverpool, they already have the replacement already in the side. Whether it's Gakpo playing on the right wing, whether it's Jota playing on the right wing, every top football figure that's left a club, you will survive it. You look at when Cristiano Ronaldo left Real Madrid, they survived because Benzema stepped up, had his best season ever after he left. So if I was a Liverpool fan, which thank God I'm not, I would not, be worried in the slightest because it's inevitably going to happen. You have to survive after it, whether they get a replacement or whether they just give a little bit more responsibility to the people in the squad. I think it's natural, isn't it? I mean, have you ever looked at like some of the biggest squads, whether it's Thierry Henry leaving Arsenal, whether it's Frank Lampard leaving Chelsea or whether it's Rooney leaving United, Ronaldo leaving United. There's always life after it, isn't there? But sometimes it can just be a little bit turbulent. You haven't got the right replacement strategy yeah. in place or the right play is already there to then take the next step. Just before we go then, guess who gave Gary O'Neill his Football League debut? 
Tony Pulis. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to, you know, like how everyone says everyone's a disciple of Pep Guardiola. Now we've got disciples of Tony, <laughs> Tony Pulis. Pulis. Uh, that's it for today's show. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe, you won't miss the next one. We'll be back with you with more podcasts next week. Of course, looking back, reflecting on the weekend's Premier League action. Marley will be back with us by that point. And as I say, hitting subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform is the best way to do that, to stay in touch with us. But from myself and Joel, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll catch you next time on FST. Football Social Daily is a VoiceWork Sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.